Welcome to The Daily Drive with Josh Downs, a podcast where I'll be sharing principles and insights each and every day to help you on your personal journey through life. Things to better help you move forward from wherever you are to where you want to be. Morning, everybody. Happy Friday. You're listening to The Daily Drive with Josh Downs. And today's episode is episode 445, What's the Good in Living? Now, I'll admit that the title of this episode is a little deceptive. My hope is to catch people's attention with it a little bit more, especially those who may actually be asking that question, because I feel very strongly about today's message and how it can help bring meaning to life, especially during times where life doesn't feel like it has meaning, and especially so that all of us that have found ourselves in that situation will always have an answer ready to give to that question. I was watching a show the other night based on a popular fantasy world and I was caught up in the plot and the beautiful cinematography of the scenes that I was watching when a simple statement of dialogue caught my attention. It was during a pivotal scene after great injustice had just been done and there were many decisions to be made and there were many within this particular company that were considering giving up hope and choosing an easier path than the one that was before them and to abandon a friend due to the danger that would come to them if they chose to take a path to try to help him. But it was in this moment of decision that a very wise woman stood up and reminded everyone that was struggling with knowing what to do of a very important truth, which was simply this. She said, What's the good in living if we ain't living good? It was a simple statement, but one that speaks to the heart to the heart of a person, and to the heart of the purpose of life. And it certainly spoke to my heart. We live in a time that has been foretold when men's hearts would fail them. And I think this is happening in part because we are forgetting the truth and the impact behind this simple statement. What's the good in living if we ain't living good? Quentin L. Cook, a leader of my faith, speaking of living good, said, I wish to share some practical advice that may help you to be both happy and successful in achieving a meaningful life, which is often referred to as the good life, or I would add, living good. In a recent essay, Lord Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations of the British Commonwealth, articulated the concern I have about the diminished role of faith, moral values, and meaning in modern life. He stated, that if there is one thing the great institutions of the modern world do not do, it is to provide meaning. Science, technology, the free market, and the democratic state have enabled us to reach unprecedented achievements in knowledge, in freedom, life expectancy, and affluence. They are among the greatest achievements of human civilization and are to be defended and cherished. But they do not answer the three questions that every reflective individual asks at some time in his or her life. Who am I? Why am I here? How then shall I live? The result is that the 21st century has left us with a maximum of choice and a minimum of meaning. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Elder Cook went on then to say, that I am deeply concerned that the good life based on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ is now secondary to a worldly view of the good life. The problem with that is that a worldly view of the good life will never reach the depths of meaning that our hearts are designed to feel. Men's hearts are failing largely because the world cannot succeed in filling them. He points out how quickly the world has moved away from Christ's recipe for the good life, how in the space of not many years, much of the world now calls evil good and good evil. What is considered moral has swiftly changed, 
there's been an incredible movement away from moral conduct as the basis of the good life. Some diminish Christianity by accepting the myth that in Christianity, happiness is not about this life, but only about heaven. He then says, I assure you that following the Savior brings happiness in this life and in heaven. He also points out that some challenges are not just about good and evil. Some require us to make choices based on what is best, not just what is good. David Brooks, in an editorial titled The Moral Bucket List, developed the concept that there are two sets of virtues, the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Brooks correctly concluded that the eulogy virtues are much more important. Now, I'm going to share verbatim what Quentin Cook said next because I think it speaks to the heart of living good and the good life. He said that this concept of resume virtues and eulogy virtues hit him personally because he had an experience when he was in his mid-20s that had a profound impact on him. He said it involved the funerals of two good men that took place only a few days apart, and the account is true, but he says, I've changed the names and have purposefully been vague about a few of the facts. He said, I was 25 years old and had graduated from Stanford Law School and had just started employment with the law firm. He said, I spent my workday world with highly educated people who had amassed significant material possessions. They were kind and on the whole gracious and attractive people. He then said the church members that I associated with were much more diverse. Many of them had little material wealth. They were wonderful people and most had meaning in their lives. It was at this juncture that two older retired men I had known for many years passed away. Their funerals were held only a few days apart and I traveled to both funerals. I have decided to call one of the men rich and the other man faithful. Those two funerals are cemented in my mind because they clarified the significance of the choices all people have before them, especially the young. They also demonstrate the complexity of the distinction between the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. Both rich and faithful served missions as young men. By all accounts, they were both dedicated missionaries. After attending college, their lives began to diverge. Rich married a beautiful woman who over time became less active in the church. Faithful married an equally beautiful woman who was completely active in the church. More than any other factor, this decision framed the remaining decisions of their lives. In my experience, he said, when couples remain true and faithful to the Savior and the eternal significance of the family, the eulogy virtues are almost always preserved. He said, I'll now share more about Rich. He had wonderful people skills and cared a great deal about people. He began employment with a major U.S. corporation and ultimately became president of that company. He had a large income and lived in a large, beautiful home set on spacious grounds. That is why I've decided to call him Rich. <laughs> it would be fair to say that his career choices were not just good or better, but were the best. His family and church choices, however, were not so good. He was a good man and did not engage in personal choices that were in and of themselves evil. But his family choices and influence on his children focused almost exclusively on education and employment essentially the resume virtues that are so valued in the marketplace. His sons also embarked on excellent careers. They did not, however, remain active in the church, and they married young women who were not members. I'm not aware of all the facts about his sons, but in each case, these marriages ended in divorce. Rich and his wife also became less active. They were primarily involved in high-profile social and community activities. He always considered himself a member of the church and was proud of his mission, but he did not attend church. 
He would from time to time contribute to church building projects and assist members in their careers. And furthermore, he was an influence for honesty, integrity, and goodwill in all the positions that he held. His funeral was held at a non-denominational chapel in the cemetery. Many top executives and dignitaries attended the funeral, including the governor of the state where he lived. Except for his children, grandchildren, and me, everyone attending was over the age of 50. It was, on the whole, a somber funeral. Basic principles of the plan of happiness were not taught, and little was said of Jesus Christ. Rich's life was based almost exclusively on resume virtues. Faithful's employment decisions were far less successful. His initial effort at a small independent business was thwarted when the business burned and he lost everything. He subsequently created a small business but could barely make his required payments. He had a small but adequate home. He enjoyed his work and his interaction with people. His career was good and certainly satisfactory, but not distinguished or what might be called best. It was not a resume virtues career. His family and church choices, on the other hand, were absolutely the best. He and his wife were completely active in the church. He served as called, often as teacher, attended the temple frequently, and was a faithful priesthood holder. He had wonderful relationships, especially with his large family and his many grandchildren. They were all well-educated, but his main emphasis to them was on living a Christ-like life. In his retirement, he and his wife served a mission together. Though he faced trials, including the death of a son in World War II, he achieved satisfaction and joy throughout his life because of the purpose and meaning provided by his family and the gospel of Jesus Christ. His funeral in the church meeting house was large and joyful. People of all ages attended, including large numbers of grandchildren and young people that he had served. The plan of happiness was taught, and the Savior was at the center of the service. It was an exemplary, faith-filled funeral. The talks were about his character, kindness, concern for others, and faith in and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He then said, I have indicated that these two funerals came at a defining time for me. I had served a mission and I loved the church. I was just starting my career and becoming impressed with those having material and occupational success. I realized that the choices that I was making would define my happiness in this life and determine the legacy that I would leave. I also realized the eternal significance of the choices that were before me. It was clear to me that choices have eternal significance. And what was most important to me about the lives I had just described is that I realized that the most important choices can be made by everyone, regardless of their talents, abilities, opportunities, or economic circumstances. I realized that for me, my future children and everyone I would have the opportunity to influence, putting the Savior, my family, and the church first was essential. Doing so would result in the good life. As we face the difficulties and trials of life, many events occur over which we have little or no control, but on matters of principle, conduct, religious observance, and righteous living, we are in control. Our faith in and worship of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, is a choice that we make. Elder Neil A. Maxwell, another leader of my faith, quoting William Law, an 18th century English clergyman, stated this in a most succinct fashion. If you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, it will, in the end, make no difference what you have chosen instead. He concludes by saying, Please understand that in reciting the true account of the men I called rich and faithful, I'm not advocating for less interesting goals relating to education or occupation. Quite the contrary. We should do everything we can to advance our accomplishments in these two areas. 
But here's the key, he points out, that what I am saying is that when goals relating to education and occupation are elevated to a position superior to that of the family and the church and a testimony of the Savior, the unintended consequences of, of overemphasizing the resume virtues can be significantly adverse. The most important meeting each of us will have on the other side of the veil is with the Savior, the keeper of the gate. Regardless of who our ancestors are and whether we are rich or poor, we will report on our adherence to the commandments we've been given. We should live so that we can enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. And as it says in Psalms, be thankful unto Him and bless His name. In the end, we will want to joyfully report that we have lived a truly good life by living good. Well, thanks for listening today, everyone. What's the good in living if we're not living good is a question for each of us to ask and a question that each of our lives will answer. And we can begin living good by following the good shepherd, by loving him and loving his sheep. I have ambitions, I have goals and desires, but I find that when I make sure Christ and his commandments and living his gospel are at the top of my list, it helps keep everything else in check and keeps meaning in my life because he is helping my life be meaningful to others. And that's the promise that he offers to each and every one of us, the promise of finding meaning in life and the promise of a good life found in living good. Until next time, I'm Josh Downs, and you're listening to The Daily Drive.